Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, the IKP. Welcome back, NBA playoff time. I told you guys, oh, well, first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. I hope everybody out there is doing fine. I'm doing well. Um, and as I've so as I've been talking about over the last couple episodes, NBA playoff content, you guys been asking for it. So I'm gonna bring. I I, I told you guys I'm gonna bring on guests throughout the NBA playoffs. This is gonna be my first vet, my first guest to talk about the playoffs. Very familiar. We just had him on Kambui Bamani of the Independent Intel Podcast. You guys know I. You guys liked his content or liked his insight on the draft. We talked about the draft. I enjoyed that episode. A lot of you guys did as well. So I said, hey, why not bring him back on for the NBA playoffs so we can discuss further? And I have I have Kambui with me right now. Go ahead and, you know, do your pleasures. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, welcome back, guys. I'm here again, Kambui Bomani. Uh, just coming off the heels of a recent episode I did for my podcast with a YouTuber named Offscript. It's pretty good content I was able to deliver on, you know, SWAT, collegiate football, and things of that nature. But here with Isaiah, ready to talk about the NBA playoffs. Thank you. Like, a lot of you guys, as the seasons went on, we've been waiting for a legitimate postseason play where every game counts. And here we are, ready to talk about it. And I uh, can't wait to do it. And can't wait to get started. Yeah. Um, oh boy, this NBA season, and I'm, I'm just going to start right here because I don't want to waste too much time. I just want to – we want to – I know people want us to get right into it, and I'm going to do that. The NBA season, I don't know about for you guys. I, I I have I have relayed this message to my view to my audience already, to my listeners already. The NBA season was very difficult to keep up with. Um the product itself, as far as the basket, I like I I can remember when the season first started. The product was not that good. Um there was there was a record amount of blowouts. Um some of that was due to Teams coming out of the bubble. You had other teams that, you know, they had some off-season transactions or off-season acquisitions, and it took those acquisitions some time to get acquainted to a new system, a new city, and so forth. Uh, you had rookies, obviously. And, and and some of it is teams don't play defense. Don't Teams don't play a lot of defense, and it's a shooter's league. So if a team is making a whole bunch of three-pointers um, and you're not making three-pointers, you're going to get ran out the gym. <laughs> you're going to get ran out the gym. So I say all of that to say, coming into this postseason, I don't think there is usually in the NBA to start off the season, there's usually like four to five teams that have a legitimate shot at winning the title. Like, you know, every team say that their goal is to win a title, but there's literally legitimately – Four to five teams, maybe six, but usually four to five teams that is able to win a championship on a yearly basis. And I kind of feel that way this year a little bit, but I'm just not quite sure because the regular season, the product wasn't that great. Um, there was, There's been a lot of injuries. A lot of stars have gotten hurt over the course of the regular season. And these games were, they these games were like, just happening so quickly, quicker than usual. So give me your take on the regular season, 
going into the playoffs, is there a clear-cut favorite coming into the postseason? Yeah, for me, I think out east there is. It's okay. Brooklyn. Okay. With Brooklyn, we all wanted to see. We all waited. Is James Harden going to come back? Because he played particularly well at an elite clip when KD was out with his injury with Kyrie. And he went out Harden for a considerable amount of time. KD comes back in. Him and Kyrie played well enough to win games and whatnot. But it was pretty clear they weren't a championship caliber team unless Harden was in the line of right. doing what he could do as the point well, so with that unit being what it is, uh, we know Philadelphia's taken a elevated step with a better coach and a better identity under Doc Rivers. And Milwaukee is, for lack of better terms, while they may not be better record wise, they're a better team than they were last year. But Absolutely. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty understandable for people to feel like Brooklyn is that team, and they are. When Harden's there at the point, makes life easier for KD and Kyrie, natural born scorers. And I think what people underestimate with the Nets, they're a very deep team with their second unit. And they've played marketably better defense as the years went on. So they're the favorite out East. Out West, it's a lot more confusing. Um, everybody in the West has flaws. So, yes, if you're a Laker fan, you're like, for sure the Lakers are coming out in the West. I understand there was cause to pause because AD and LeBron both were getting nicked considerably throughout the regular season. They probably are limping into the playoffs relatively nicked up as well, but they've shown that they've been able to play at a considerable close to near elite level due to their injuries. So they should be, for lack of a better term, effective when postseason play comes. And then the top two seeds, Utah, Phoenix, I just don't know. With Utah, they remind me a lot of the 2018 Rockets. Mm. The issue with them is while they shoot the three ball particularly well and play top five defense, Donovan Mitchell's health is important. He's their best perimeter scorer when it comes to creativity off the dribble. And when he's there, as great as a talent he is, he isn't all NBA caliber yet to where he can consistently be efficient as a scorer. Okay. And then Gobert, as dynamic as he is defensively at protecting the rim, his inability to guard people on switches and to guard outside of the perimeter limits his ability to be on the floor when teams go small. And then my issue with Phoenix is DeAndre Ayton. I trust her backcourt and Chris Paul and Devin Booker to be productive. Aiden has been rather underwhelming, even with Chris Paul incorporated within the team. And because of that, he's going to have to be your third primary scorer, not just because of his number one overall draft pick billing a few years ago, but you rely on him to be an interior scorer for a primary perimeter-based offense. If he's giving you eight to nine points a game in a series, that's not going to be enough, especially considering the Suns may have to play a perimeter Latin team in the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, I think I, I agree out East and I should have stated this before, um, but out East, I do think Brooklyn's the favorite. I think when healthy, uh, it's just too much firepower for a team, for a team like Milwaukee or Philadelphia to overcome, especially with Harden at the point. Um, because, some would argue that Durant is like the ultimate best player, but Harden is the best playmaker and distributor of the basketball that the Brooklyn Nets have. And he's a big element. He's he's going to be a big element to their success um, and their run going into the playoffs. So I absolutely agree. I like the Brooklyn Nets out East. Um, 
I think Milwaukee is very fascinating. I think they're going a bit under the under the radar, um, so to speak, where they didn't have the fifth, they didn't have the sixty win regular season. It wasn't this dominant regular season that they had over the last couple years. But it feels like there's more int- the 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 integral parts that they have or have added. They may be they may seem to work out like the Drew Holiday acquisition, um, the PJ Tucker acquisition. I think the PJ Tucker, um, and them having PJ Tucker and Drew Holiday, I think gives them a kind of gives them a better matchup with Brooklyn. Um, not to say that they, they would beat Brooklyn, but it gives them a better a fighting chance um, than what they had last year. But Mike Budenholzer is on the hot seat, and we got to see. What time? What kind of strategical moves does he make? Um, and I think a first round matchup versus the Miami Heat will be a good test. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm not so hu- I'm not so huge on Ben Simmons. I think ultimately the lack of perimeter play, or I should say, the lack of a perimeter jump shot that Ben Simmons lack. Um, I think that that ultimately what that's what kills Philly because Philly obviously they have Embiid, um, baby Elijah Wan in the in in inside he's been dominant when healthy this year he's been really dominant defensively they're awesome but I I, I just think with the lack of jump shooting from Ben Simmons I, I think that gives them that puts a ceiling on Philadelphia as an offense. And I think when you're playing up against Brooklyn, as good as their defense, as good of a, dis- a defensive team that F- Philadelphia may be, when those guys just start hitting shots, and Brooklyn has a lot of shot makers, it, it, I don't care about the defense that you're playing. you got to put up some points. And then we go out west. Out west, I think the Lakers, if healthy, I think most would agree that they are the favorites. Um, I'm really huge on Phoenix. I am. I'm really, really huge on Phoenix. Now, I, I do think, like, for Phoenix, they're the two seed. They've had a great regular season. Chris Paul has done a great job. Devin Booker has had a good season as well. I kind of find it hard to fathom or to believe that you go from being at the bottom of the conference to winning the conference um, just in one year. That Like, that is a tremendous jump. That I don't think will happen, but I'm really high on Phoenix. Um, I like the job that Monty Williams has done as well. Utah, you mentioned um, De- uh, Donovan Mitchell's his health um, is going to be a question mark, or it's 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 important, obviously. Um, I think his efficiency. You talked about his efficiency. I think that's more important um, coming down the stretch in these playoff series. But then I look at the Clippers. I look at the Clippers. You know, they get a lot of heat because. It seems like they tanked the last two games of the year to not have to play the Lakers earlier in the playoffs or early in the playoffs, I to say. So, you know, they get a lot of t- heat for that. But I think the Clippers, once again, they're kind of like the Milwaukee Bucks. They're under the radar. Um, they, they, they didn't, they, they, they didn't come into the season with all of this noise and how they're going to be the team to be out west because they weren't. They 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 folded under pressure. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this all translate. Um, and I'm going to move. We're going to move into the play in. 
I want to talk about the play in a little bit, and I want to talk about from the Western Conference uh, standpoint with obviously the Warriors versus the Lakers at Staples Center. Um, and I think this first, I, I want to get your take on um, and your opinion on the play in tournament in, itself. I, my, I myself is I'm not a huge fan of the play in. Um, I think it diminishes the regular season. Uh, and you're, you're allowing teams at the ninth and 10th spot who, 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 who just, who just weren't good enough. Like if you're at the ninth and 10th spot, you're just not good enough to make it to the playoffs. And I just don't, I, so, so I just think it takes away and it diminishes and it drains your regular season that you had, you know, for having to play in. So how do you feel about the play in and then give me your take on the Warriors and Lakers, um, matchup and what to expect? Yeah, I think it did the opposite. I think it added significance to the regular season, and you saw a small number of teams tanking because of it. Teams like New Orleans, teams like Sacramento, in the past when a play-in didn't exist, they'd fold probably a month earlier and start planning for next season. Instead, those teams kept playing, and what it does is for those units, even if they don't make the playoffs, is formulates a identity and a futuristic game plan for the next season. You start finding out, hmm, these key role players that were playing extra minutes, what can they add in terms of formulating a new identity for the season coming up? And so that's what really a New Orleans and a Sacramento were able to do due to this. But teams like Washington, teams like Memphis, teams like Boston, Indiana, they provide a great basketball content for the viewers because the way the stars align, they all really got to play each other late in the year to kind of decide who was going to make the plan or who was going to see the where. And it produced a very competitive content, I feel like. So if anything, it eliminates tanking. And I think that was really Silver's biggest priority ever since the situation we had with the Philadelphia 76ers way back when in the last decade. The NBA didn't want a scenario like that to ever happen again. Obviously, you had teams like Houston, Oklahoma City, those those teams of that nature who embrace the tank fully so they can orchestrate the requisite picks to really get, in my opinion, the best draft that the league's had in the last few years. So you had those teams, but that's a handful. And for the most part, everybody else in the league was competing to try to make a playoff push. That's always great basketball because we get it. Not everybody's going to win a championship, but we all as viewers want to see competitive content on a daily basis. Now, for the Lakers Warriors series, You know, Golden State has been a great story, and I think regardless of who wins or loses this basketball game, they're both going to represent the West in the playoffs as a 7th and 8th seed. That's going to make the NBA very happy. But I do think the Lakers are just better, and I think what they're going to dominate Golden State at the most is inside. The Warriors are still a small team, and they're even smaller with James Wiseman out for the year with the torn meniscus. And so they've kind of gotten by lately with Kevon Looney and Draymond Green playing that five spot. But there were people who watched the game that they played against Memphis that was relatively close until Curry broke it open with a barrage performance from three. Jonas Valanciunas dominated down low. So if he's going to do damage, and I do think Valanciunas is rather underrated at the center spot, but if he's going to do damage against your front court lineup, AD's probably going to do the same as well. And so will Andre Drummond. And I think that's where the Lakers are probably going to exert their dominance there. And then on a defensive side, when it comes to guarding Curry, going to see a lot of brackets recoveries, a lot of traps, getting the ball out of his hands quick as possible, which means the likes of Andrew Wiggins, Jordan Poole, and Kelly Oubre have to play better. Wiggins and Poole have played better recently to the point where they've been 
exemplary complementary parts to coincide with Curry's scoring barrages, but playoffs is a whole nother magnitude. They're going to have to do this at a consistent rate. And that's why I really see the Lakers coming away with the W. They're going to get the seventh seed. But I do think Golden State, while they may not match up well against the Lakers, they're going to match up pretty well against whoever wins against Memphis and San Antonio. Those two teams will get the final two spots. And that presents a whale of trouble for Utah and Phoenix. Phoenix especially, because I don't think Phoenix matches up with L.A. very well. Now, they did beat them once this season, but I think when they did beat them, I don't know if AD played. LeBron played, though. So I don't know if that's a great matchup for them-wise. And then for Utah, they're peaking at the right time. But, you know, Mitchell's health is always a question. And they're going to be a battle of two teams that shoot the basketball at a high rate. And the thing about the NBA is, as great as your defense, it can be. Shots are a probability game. They can go in sometimes. They cannot go in. And the last thing you need in the series with Golden State of Utah is Curry to go nuclear for a six-game stretch, and then you're at the crib just like that. So um, I'm pretty sure Phoenix and Utah probably don't want to see L.A. and Golden State last. One of them will. And I expect (laughs) Lakers to do what they need to do tomorrow night, get the seventh seed, and then Golden State to take care of their business and get the eighth. Yeah, so – and – I was talking to um, somebody, a friend of mine's, uh, Champ, Champ University, um, Championship University on Instagram. And we were talking about how the Warriors and the Lakers, like, and you mentioned it. First, let me say this. I think the Lakers um, are, are are just the better te- I think they're the better team than the Warriors. Um, and in this type of format, it's a one-game type of thing. Um, now, the Lakers won't lose twice. I don't think they will lose twice. I don't think they'll lose once. I think the Lakers will win. I think they'll beat the Warriors tomorrow. But it does give me cause for pause because I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. Worst-case scenario. For, this, is, this would be the worst-case scenario for the NBA. If the Lakers miss the playoffs, that would be the worst-case scenario for the NBA. Because not only did the Lakers miss the playoffs, but LeBron would miss the playoffs as well. So that's the, you're talking about the biggest brand as far as a team in your league missing, not making the playoffs. And then LeBron himself is a big brand. And he so that's just that's just the worst case scenario. Once again, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think the Lakers will beat the Warriors and they will lock up the seven seed. So I'm not even gonna waste my time on that. Um going down that path. But you you mentioned Phoenix and the Lakers, and I and I just did a segment on that uh, on like this whole Phoenix Lakers series potential series. Um, I did that last week, and I talked about how the Phoenix Suns, as great as a regular season as they had had, um, as much as I like them, they should be praying to the good Lord that they don't have to play the Lakers in the seventh seed in the seven in the first round. They don't, that's, that's a bad matchup. Um, and every way you look at it, you mentioned it. It's just not a good matchup for the, for the Phoenix suns. And they beat them. I think they beat the Lakers once. Um, and that was, like you said, that was without Anthony Davis and, and just thinking about it. And as far as a matchup, that's the matchup problem that they, they that they can't really solve. They don't have a good matchup for Anthony Davis. So, and, and it showed a couple of weeks, I think, what, last week, where 
AD went berserk on Phoenix. He had 42. So that right there showed me, okay, Phoenix can't beat the Lakers. And that would not be a great matchup for Phoenix. Um, and I'm hoping for their sake, they don't have to play them, but it looks like they're going to have to play the Lakers. So, um, I, you know, I uh, good luck to Phoenix. I think the Lakers, as far as it, the Lakers beating the Warriors, the inside presence does matter. I'm not as high on Andre Drummond at all. People know that I'm not a fan of Andre Drummond at all. Uh, I think he puts up empty calorie stats. Uh, he's one of the worst finishers at the rim for, for him to be a big, a seven footer. He's probably the worst finisher at the rim at his size. So I'm not as huge on him, but I do think the Lakers will survive and advance to the seven seed or into like the regular playoffs and they beat the Warriors. Um, so yeah, now, Give me your prediction on Boston and Washington because Boston and Washington, very interesting. And I'm going to get more into the Celtics, but I do want to hear your prediction on the Celtics and um, the Wizards play-in game that happens tonight. Yeah, when I saw this matchup being materialized officially a few <laughs> days ago, I was like, this is perfect for Washington. Mm-hmm. They're peaking at the right time. Mm-hmm. They've had some quality wins against teams that – our playoff tension. Either they've beaten a team like Indiana who's in the plan, or uh, although they lost to Atlanta twice, they were right there. And that's pretty impressive for a team against Atlanta who's a fifth seed. So they're peaking at the right time. A lot of it has to coincide with Westbrook's triple-double ability, Bradley Beals scoring at a high rate, but also the complimenting parts that they're having on the exterior. Bertans making some big shots. Rui Hachimura coming back and giving quality minutes in the rotation. So right now they're peaking at the right time. All of their guys are relatively healthy. And they're much more deeper and effective from starting unit to the second unit in comparison to Boston, who lost Jalen Brown. Um, it seems like at this point, Jason Tatum is basically their offense. Kimball Walker's been hot or cold all year. And it seems like Brad Stevens has lost the pulse of his team at the worst inopportune time. This was a Boston unit coming in. I had them as a preseason top five favorite to come out, not only the East, but to represent the East in the NBA Finals. And a lot of that was coinciding with the fact that I felt if Tatum and Brown took all NBA all-star caliber leaps, they help make up for the fact that they have efficiencies at the five spot and they're those leaps. However, Tatum has been a little bit more inconsistent despite his all-star status. Kimball Walker's play has been hot and cold all year. No one really expected that. And they've never resolved the five spot and their bench is still weak. So, I see the Wizards coming away with a W, and Boston may mess around and not make the playoffs at all because on the other end, you have Indiana and, Chicago, and Charlotte playing. I have Indiana beating Charlotte, mm. and now Indiana and Boston meet. Indiana, even though Miles Turner's out for the year with his injury, and they've been inconsistent as well, they are a better team front to back, have a way more consistent identity, and like I said, huge problem at the five spot in terms of being able to produce mm. offense at the center position and stop opposing centers. They'd have to play the modest Sabonis. They have no answer for him. So that's how I see it. And that's crazy, right? Because Boston was a team that was in the conference finals a year ago. The way this plan could shake up, they won't even be in the playoffs at all. So it's unfortunate for them. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, I agree with you with the Wizards take. 
Um, they're playing, and I, I once again, I did a segment on Wesley Westbrook uh, last week. He uh, he became obviously the triple double king, the all time leader in uh, career triple doubles, and he's just this. He's basically fueled this whole run, this late season run push that the Wizards have had. Um, obviously, Bradley Beal and his scoring is important and critical, um, but. You know, Russ, you know, as much as I criticize him, he's 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 had a phenomenal like last month of the season, month and a half. He's had a phenomenal run. Um, Obviously, it comes with he has ups and downs that he comes with and so forth. But that's just the blows that you take with Russell Westbrook. Um, But hold up here. So we mentioned the Celtics and. I didn't have that much high. I didn't have like your expectations for the Celtics. I wasn't that high on them. Um, now I must say this: over the last couple of years, I have been very high on the Celtics because I love Brad Stevens as a coach. Um, I think Tatum is an emerging superstar. Um, Jalen Brown has taken leap after leap after leap, and now he made his first All Star game. Um, this past year or this season, but the Celtics just have the, the Kimball Walker deal just hasn't worked out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just hasn't worked out at all. He's the pre he's a, he's a liability on defense. Um, and also he's a depreciating asset himself because because of the injuries. So he's been up and down. He has his moments and with the money that Boston's paying him, it's just not good enough. Um, the Celtics, they're missing some type of interior presence. Um, and to be quite frank with you, they haven't had like that strong interior presence. I mean, even past Al Horford, you can go back and look at, they haven't had that strong interior presence since Kevin Garnett and Kendrick Perkins, when you think about it. So they've yet to re- like replace some of these needs um, and turn them into strengths, um, and then their lack of bench depth. And now we're hearing reports about Brad Stevens possibly being on the hot seat. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not, like I said, I like Brad Stevens. I blame for the Celtic struggles and personnel issues. Obviously, I blame Danny Ainge because Danny Ainge doesn't want to take risk. He doesn't want to take risk. He doesn't want to take the big swing. And time after time after time, the Celtics and Danny Ainge have had opportunities to to like take his team to the next level with adding superstars or adding All Star caliber players, and he have, he have yet to do it. But with Brad Stevens, this is my last point about Brad Stevens. I feel like Brad Stevens, his first couple years. He he ha- he got this label as a genius, right? He got this label as a genius, smart basketball coach. Some people even said he's the best young coach in basketball. Period. Now, now that Jason Tatum is evolving into more of a superstar level caliber player. Now that Jalen Brown is taking his game to the next level as far as being an all-star caliber player, I don't think they should fire Brad Stevens. 
But it do it does give me cause for pause because can Brad Stevens handle superstars? Because as like is this like are these personalities are they going to be able to mesh? Because when I think of Brad Stevens as a coach, we credited Brad Stevens because he because because first look he coached at Butler, no really no no real superstar talent. And then he got this Celtics team where his first few years with the Celtics, they were overachieving. So now he's been praised for his ability to uplift talent and up and, and lift guys' ceilings. But now you have to coach superstars. And I'm not sure if Brad Stevens, the personality that he has, I'm not sure if that's a good, if that's the perfect match. You give me your take on the Celtics and Danny Ainge and now Brad Stevens possibly being on the hot seat. Yeah, conveniently enough, this is a topic I was actually talking about with some buddies of mine Mm. a few hours before I came on the show. So I broke it down kind of like this. We all thought Brad Stevens was the ultimate combination of the modern-day NBA coach. He was a great player developer, great schematic individual can make the requisite player adjustments in game can make the requisite game preparations before the game after the game things of that nature and we all relied on that because of his coaching upbringing came from butler what he did with the celtics before they kind of got the Kyrie's and the tatums and the mm-hmm. browns and the rosiers but recently what we found out and we honestly found it out in the miami series and in the you know, this season right now is right. Stevens is a great player developer in terms of being able to develop guys within his coaching scheme. If you don't coincide within his coaching scheme, he doesn't know what to do with you. And the thing about superstars are they don't fit in a scheme. They are the scheme. Mm. And when you have individuals like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, now, while I don't think Jalen Brown's a superstar, he's a very solid complimentary two-piece who can evolve into a Paul George caliber player in his career. Tatum has it. He has the it factor, the capabilities, the ability. He has all of that. And he struggled to find a way to build, to evolve his system that created waves of success at Butler and waves of overachieving success with Celtics before these guys. He struggled to evolve his system from being coach-centric to star-centric, and that has been a relative disaster for Boston moving forward. What it's done is we all thought it was a Kyrie issue. When Irving was there, we thought Kyrie's the reason why this team can't take it to the next step because the year prior they went to the conference finals. And yes, Kyrie is a guy who isn't a traditional point guard, and he's better off being a guy who is letting somebody else delegate the ball handling duties while he goes full nuclear when it comes to scoring the basketball. But after that, what we start to truly realize is he's just not good understanding the aspects of, and when I mean he, Stevens, how to deal with a star caliber player who outgrows your system and can be able to be a guy that can take you home in a seven-game series. Other aspects is player adjustments. He's not good at that. And a lot of guys aren't, not just Stevens, but Boonholzer when they're so system-centric. When it's my system or the highway, you refuse to adjust. And I don't know if it's ego or it's because you're so entrenched with your values in terms of how this has helped you become the coach you are. You don't know how or aren't comfortable straying away from adapting to what personnel is giving you in a series 
or adjusting around the tendencies of your player. That's my biggest issue with Stevens. It doesn't mean he's a bad coach, but what it does means is he has a market value in the NBA. He'll always have a shelf life for probably the next eight to 10 years because of his youth, because of what he's been able to build within NBA franchises. But what he's going to become is a inevitable Stan Van Gundy type of coach where over time he's going to get this label as he can be a builder, but he can never take your team to the top. And then as you get older, those aspects that help make you into a builder in your younger ages of your career diminish because new waves of players come in, a new wave of the NBA evolves, and then your personnel aspects that probably fit during your genre where you were hot as a coach no longer work anymore, and then you become the ultimate tuner-outer. Guys just tune you out, which is what's happening in Boston now, because they've seen your ways of success get them so far, and guys feel like at that point, I can do it my way and get it done just as effectively, if not more effectively, effectively than what you're telling me to do in the moment. You couldn't have said it better. And we're kind of saying the same thing, just in different ways. Um, like, what we're basically saying is, we don't know if Brad Stevens is a coach that can coach superstars. <laughs> like, that's basically what it, that's what it comes down to. And it, it, he's so beholden to his system, and and that's fine. But when you're and you and you mentioned it, he's a great player developer. Be and and that goes back to my point about him at Butler, and then his first few years with the Celtics, where he overachieved with the talent and with the players that he had. Those you think about those early Celtics teams that he coached, you know, led by Isaiah Thomas. Those were like Isaiah Thomas himself was an overachiever with a great story. But then when you go into this new era of the Boston Celtics per se, over the last several over the last couple years, where they've had superstar players, they've had guys with bigger egos. Brad Stevens has he he hasn't done a good job with managing these talents and personalities. And like like I said, Danny Ainge, I think Danny Ainge could have done a better job with getting him to represent personnel to to better compete and to elevate his team. That's where Danny Ainge has failed. But I think with Brad Stevens, can he coach a star? And can he can and and like you said, without fitting the without fitting the star player such as Jason Tatum into a scheme, make him the scheme. He is the scheme. So I think that's just gonna be something that the Celtics have to figure out. And you know, does Danny Ainge say, hey? I'm gonna get you the personnel that you need. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna fill up this bench. We're gonna add more depth. We're gonna get more size. We're gonna beefing up. Is that their approach this offseason? Or do they say, hey, um, we need to cut ties with Brad Stevens because he's done, he's done just about what he can do, which is build the culture. He's a culture builder. Build the culture. Get the Celtics back to where they were prior to prior to him taking the job, 
But now we need somebody that's going to be able to elevate our superstar level player, who is Jason Tatum, um, and then all-star caliber player, uh, Jalen Brown. Give me your take on Danny Ainge. Like, has Danny Ainge dropped the ball? Has this Celtics thing, is this more of a Brad Stevens issue? Um, Or is it a Danny Ainge issue with him not adding the proper personnel to better suit Brad Stevens as a coach? I think they go, I think they both go hand in hand. Now for Stevens, I don't think he's leaving anytime soon because there was a rumor before Indiana University offered Mike Woodson her head coaching basketball job. They gave Stevens an offer Mm -hmm. 10 years, I think 100 mil something which probably means Ainge told him behind closed doors, look, even though we're having a tough season, I'm going to stick and ride by you, and I'm going to make sure I create the ultimate roster that coincides with the system that you're trying to preach and invest in this basketball team. So Stevens isn't going anywhere. But it does go both ways because I think Ainge is more of a problem than a solution. And I felt like teams overrated Ainge because of all the picks he had a few years ago. And it was like, oh, my gosh, look what Ainge's been able to do in the draft and the free agency, la di da da And, yeah, he hit home with Tatum, and he kind of hit home with Brown in terms of his development and his evolution as a player. But outside of that, it didn't work with Kyrie, didn't work with Gordon Hayward, has really worked with Kimball Walker. They have not had a caliber center that's a formidable fortitude piece within the paint as an offensive threat and a defensive ability, defensive productive unit. Um, Horford, they had him for a brief time. They let him go. And their recent drafts, which look like were an effort to build up their bench, have been huge misses. Tremont Waters has never really played on the pro roster. Taco Fall is more of their mascot instead of a reliable <laughs> contributor within their second unit. Um, Romeo Langford was Mr. Basketball coming out of Indiana. He's yet to crack their rotation consistently. And... It's just been tough. Carson Edwards, who a lot of Boston Celtics fans have been preaching to get more minutes, he's yet to crack rotation. He was a four-year superstar at Purdue. And so the draft is where you build your bench, especially if you're a team that's competing for a championship. They get they get the, they, they, Oh, no, I was going to say, they did get the kid from Oregon. They did. Okay, they got, good. yeah, Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, Pritchard, who they love, who <laughs> is okay, but... That's one guy that they've been able to get on <laughs> right. their second unit. And right. so the situation that they're in in Boston is when you're a team like the Celtics and you have foundational franchise players which at your starting lineup and you consistently have late first-round picks or mid-level outside the lottery first-round picks in consecutive NBA drafts, that's your opportunity to build out your second unit and your roster, your bench. They have not been able to do so consistently. And now we hear these cries of they don't have a consistent bench. Or, dang, they're, the likes of Kimball Walker and Tristan Thompson aren't really doing anything. Well, your free agent investments and your recent draft capital over the years have been complete misses. And now you're basically relying on your star players and Stevens to make up for your ineptitude as a general manager. So, for lack of a better term, Ainge hasn't done his part either in filling out a competent roster that coincides with competing in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. Um, so... I'm a because people people think I'm a Celtics hater, so I'm gonna stop banging on the Celtics. I'm gonna stop. Um, so I, I I've I I have I've thought about a caveat here. I thought about something, and I don't know. And you tell me if this is good for the NBA 
or it's just it's it's just just something that it's it's just going to be a trend. But the Brooklyn Nets, uh, their three stars, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, have played I think a total of ten games together. Ten games. The Brooklyn Nets have managed to get the number two seed. They have managed to win forty eight games in a seventy two game regular season. Um. Let's say the Brooklyn Nets win the championship. Does that hurt the NBA? And when I mean does that hurt the NBA, you think about it. They were resting guys. They were just adding to their roster throughout the season. Like I've already mentioned, their three, their big three played 10 games together. And you look at a team like Phoenix and Utah, who they've been playing every single night hard hard night in night out playing defense and just playing hard they got the one and two seeds in 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 the western conference but if the brooklyn nets win the championship what does that say about the nba i don't really think it says anything because it ultimately comes down to personnel and it comes down to what means more to you in terms of home court advantage being a benefit for your team, whether it's your team's young or your team's never been in that situation, things of that nature. And so with Brooklyn, I think two things that people underrate about the Nets. One, as much as Kyrie Irving took a glorified sabbatical throughout the season, he stayed relatively healthy. And when he did play, he played at an all-star, even an all-NBA level. Yes, And that helped this team a lot, especially when Durant and Harden were in and out the lineup consecutively because they had legitimate injuries. Also, another aspect about that team that no one takes into account, they're a very deep team. Now, they're not the biggest team, and I think a lot of that has to coincide with the fact that they don't play Nicholas Claxton more like they should. They want to force-feed DeAndre Jordan within the rotation a ton, and I don't know if a lot of that is because that's Irving and Durant's guy, like he was a part of the recruiting <laughs> right. pitch with Irving and Durant coming into Brooklyn. But I expect in the playoffs, Claxton to get formidable minutes as well as a second unit rotational big. But they have Jeff Green, they have Landry Shaman, Mike James is coming, and Mark will be very well. They have guys that could come in off the bench and give them quality stretches of minutes of eight to 10 minutes of basketball. And they do a multitude of things very well. So that's the thing with Brooklyn personnel, Irving's play, and the fact that they have three all-stars so they can afford to tinker around in the regular season and still get a two seed while a team like Utah, Denver, Phoenix, they can't because they don't have the personnel that Brooklyn has. And also for Utah and Phoenix specifically, it means much more to get a one or two seed. Well, it did until the Lakers became a seven, then Golden State became an eight. Right. It meant a lot more because you avoided those caliber teams, but also getting home court advantage, mm-hmm. especially for a unit that isn't used to playing with home court advantage consecutively in the playoffs, is important because we know Utah and Phoenix on their home floor are a completely different animal than if they have to start the first two games of a playoff series at the opposition's home floor. So it all comes down to personnel. It all comes down to what matters more for an organization. Brooklyn coming in, they knew once they had the three superstars. The goal was to get to the playoffs as healthy as possible. They have. Now you're going to see a dimension of the Nets that we really only saw for about a five, six-game stretch in the regular season to the point where teams will probably 
well, fans of teams will be like, dang, this is unfair. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the West, you're not. Well, in the West, how Utah, Phoenix, and Denver play, they're going to play like that in the playoffs. Now, we're going to see if their intensity rises up a notch because veteran teams that have playoff personnel, Clippers, Lakers, Portland, Denver even to a degree, and Golden State, they're going to bring their experience, their expertise, and their playoff intensity to the table as well. Will Utah and Phoenix be able to match that throughout a seven-game series stretch? That remains to be seen. Okay. Um, and 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 I was and that was just me playing Devin's advocate and like just bringing up a caveat with the Nets. Um, I do think certain people, if the if the Nets was to win the championship, um, which could very well happen, they're they're definitely a contender. People may look at the regular season as just a lost cause because they're like Brooklyn. Their stars barely played together. They came together in the regular season, and they won the whole damn thing. But I think, as you mentioned and pointed out, first and foremost, let me point out Kyrie Irving's play. Kyrie Irving's play has been phenomenal this year. I, I don't agree with us, with some of the things or some of the actions of his. I don't. I, I admit I don't agree. Um, but I must say, he has whenever he has played, he has been locked in and he's been phenomenal. 50 40, 50 40, 90 season. Um, I think he was the ninth player to join that club, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, I do want to big up Kyrie Irving in the phenomenal season that he's having or, um, or that he's had, uh, because it, it, he has had a great season. And I think people tend to overlook the Nets' depth um, that they have added even after gutting their roster. They still found a way to have to, you know, they have like four or five guys, dependable guys coming off the bench that you can stick into a playoff game. So they have done a good job with trying to recoup that depth that they used to trade to trade for James Harden. Um, so I, that was just interesting. So we're going from Brooklyn to Manhattan, the New York Knicks. I talked about the New York Knicks. Um, once again, I talked about the New York Knicks on the previous episode. If you want to go back and listen to that, go back and listen to that. But I give it away here. So I talked about or I discussed how good are the New York Knicks. And basically, I started from the top uh, as far as the coaching. Tom Thibodeau, if you know anything about Tom Thibodeau, his team's going to play with a lot of energy. They're going to be really good defensively. Um, and they're going to play with a lot of effort. They're going to be scrappy. And that's what the Knicks are. They're scrappy. They're, they, they, play, they play good defense. Um, surprisingly enough, in my opinion, I think this I found this stat really surprising. They're a really good three-point shooting team. They just don't take it. They just don't take um, – they don't shoot a lot of volume. Like, it's not a lot of volume there. But – Percentage-wise, they're a really good three-point shooting team. So I basically, I think the Knicks playoff team, congratulations to all the Knicks fans, all the Knickerbockers out there. Um, I think they're a playoff team. Uh, They have the Hawks in the first round, which is a winnable round, to be honest. It's a winnable round. So the Knicks may be able to win a round. I I chopped it up as this. When 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 you're coached by Tom Thibodeau, you're gonna, like I said, you're gonna play defense. You're gonna be, you're gonna be scrapping. You're gonna give effort. And in in today's league, that's how you win. That's that's how you win thirty to forty games. If you want to be honest, 
You like if you play good defense and you give a lot of effort, that's 30, that's that's damn near 30 to 35, 40 wins just right there. Because like I said, teams, a lot of teams don't play defense. A lot of teams every night are not gonna be as scrappy as the Knicks. So, and then not to mention Julius Randle, who's having a phenomenal year. Uh Derrick Rose, who's having a phenomenal year. Uh not much after that. RJ Bird, he's had his moments, but after that, it's kind of like it's just a bunch of guys. But the Knicks, how good do you think the Knicks are? Yeah, the Knicks, they're a playoff team, like you said. They're good enough to go to the second round. And that's a phenomenal story when they do, because coming yes. into the season, I think my first episode I ever did on Independent Intel was talking about the upcoming NBA season. I thought for them, they're going to be competing to get Kate Cunningham. Cunningham. Hmm. I think a lot of that had to do with, I was not sold on Thibodeau being able to coach a team full of youth. Right. But what Thibodeau did creatively was he invested all of his crucial acumen when it came to his culture, his identity, and his fortitude, mental fortitude that is, was he put it all on Randall, who is relatively young, kind of in the prime of his career, but he's somewhat of a of a infant vet. And he went and got Derrick Rose, his guy, who's a vet vet, who used to play for the Bulls when Thibodeau was there. And he got him to kind of run the point and be the floor general and teacher of his Thibodeau philosophy. So what he basically made was he made the Knicks from a youthful unit and basically made them full of veteran guys that perpetuate his narrative full of some youthful individuals quickly his numbers have kind of went down because his minutes have went down and barrett stayed within the starting lineup because his three-point shooting and defensive ability has improved so basically Thibodeau realized i'm not going to be able to coach a young team because we saw in minnesota especially when mm-hmm. butler was gone yep. he's not good at te- he's not good at coaching a youthful squad right. but what he is good at doing is incorporating veteran elements that preach his philosophy with some aspects of talented youth individuals that are going to take his coaching and be willing to do a multitude of things on the floor. And then voila, you create a Tom Thibodeau team. And that team's a playoff team. Now, they're going to play the Hawks in the first round. And I feel like they're going to beat them in like six games because the issue with Atlanta is Trey Young is undersized. And they're going to throw a ton of bodies at him. And I'm not sold that Young's play in the playoffs is going to be efficient enough and then my biggest issue with the Hawks is they shoot a lot of threes. Yep. They play up and down. They have improved a ton under Nate McMillan. And while Nate McMillan has preached a defensive acumen and identity within this team that they didn't have with Lloyd Pierce, the Knicks are just a better defensive team. And I think that's what it's going to come down to. Defense. Who defends the best throughout the series? I think the Knicks will because they've done it all year. That's what Thibodeau preaches from night in, night out. I think McMillan has adapted a more credible defensive identity within Atlanta, but who are you trusting defensively for them on the perimeter or at the rim outside of Clint Capella? So that's going to be an issue. I think they're going to struggle at times, Atlanta, to get shots. And then because of that, I think that's going to affect their energy on the defensive end. That's going to allow the Knicks to probably have a couple games where they score in the 100s, and that's going to be enough. It's a perfect the, – the playoff bracket created itself perfectly for the Knicks because it did look like at first they're going to play the Heat which is a resemblance of what the Knicks are. They're just a better version of the Knicks. Right, that wasn't going to be a good matchup for them. Right. But Atlanta's perfect because Atlanta's not on their level defensively, and I think that's going to be the dif- differentiating factor in this playoff series. 
Absolutely. Um, I agree. Um, I don't want to dive too much into the playoff circle. We're going to get to that. But, yes, I do agree. Um, Tibbs has done a good job. I think he's a coach of the year candidate. Um, you mentioned Julius Randle. And I want to I get to Julius Randle. I want to get to Julius Randle because he, he this is because now with his play, there's some there's some decisions that the Knicks must make, and I'm wondering and 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 because I think he's a his contract they can like they can sign him to big time money right basically, and I'm thinking of his contract like this because Julius Randle. He, yeah, we can admit he's had a great season and he's shown a lot of improvement, even though if you look at his numbers with the Pelicans, with the Lakers, he's always put up like really decent numbers. It's just that this year, the three-point shooting has gotten better um, from him and he's he's playing more minutes. <laughs> he's just quite frankly playing more minutes. So that's where some of those averages are a bit higher than you know other years compared to other years but i look at his contract situation like a quarter like an nfl quarterbacks contract situation where like he's good enough to like pay him this amount of money but if you know you know if you pay julius randall 25 20 to 25 million dollars that might be really difficult with trying to acquire other guys, you know, um, because we can, we can admit Julius Randle is not a second or first option on a championship team, but he's a really good player. And it's kind of like that quarterback, like an NFL con, uh, like an NFL quarterback contract where like he's good enough, but if we pay him, we're not going to be able to fulfill other roster needs, which means he's going to have to carry us but he's not that good. How do you feel about Julius Randle and his contract situation and, you know, just overall, like, the overview of the Knicks' future as far as trying to acquire other pieces? Randle's literally having the same type of season Siakam had last year. <laughs> now, the intricate part about the Siakam situation was Toronto locked Siakam up the year Kawhi Leonard decided to leave. So that... Basically, was the year he had the big blow up. So right. um, they did that. Next year, Siakam, his game never really developed. Um, the year following his career year last year. And right. he's showcased that he's probably, at best, a complimentary piece to a superstar, or at worst, the third wheel. Now, Toronto is stuck, but I don't know if it's a situation that they feel compromised in right now because they just had a tough season where they didn't do anything productive. A lot of that to deal with them. With Randall, he's having that type of year where he's going to probably be second team all NBA, 24, 10 and six phenomenal. Now I think his play is a lot better individually than Siakam's because his game is a lot more developed than Siakam's was. He's handling the basketball. Yes. He's taking has he pull ups? He's taking step back middies. He's posting people up and he's turning over on both shoulders because coming out of Kentucky, you could just post people up and turn over his left. left. So mm -hmm. doing all of those things. And I got to give credit where it's supposed to be due. All of this development happened when he went to the Pelicans. Now, granted, a lot of people didn't watch the Pelicans when he was there because that was when AD was on his way out. Right. Whole lot of catastrophe there. But Alvin Gentry put the ball in his hands more when Davis never played again for the team and let him kind of 
be a free-flowing point forward that would orchestrate the offense in the half court and then orchestrate the offense in transition. That's where I saw his game develop as a primary ball handler, a floor spacer, and a rim runner. Those type of elements have been able to duplicate itself to a higher level with the Knicks. Kudos to the Pelicans and kudos to Gentry allowing Randall to have the keys to the car to develop within his wide open, fast break next system. That's translating up on the East Coast with Thibodeau and the Knicks. Now, if I'm New York, here's what you do. If you can get somebody that's better than him at his position, take him in a deal if it's possible. If you can't, I say sign him to a deal that is very trade friendly. I'd keep a trade clause open. Um, and if he continues to play well, you feel like you can mortgage him for considerable draft picks and a draft that's much deeper down the line, do so. Or sign him up to a deal, like I said before, where it's trade friendly and then try to reach out and get somebody that can be a complimentary piece beside him. I heard they're interested in the likes of a Damian Lillard, just in case the Blazers don't do anything in the playoffs. Damian Lillard's a nice option. Um, things of that nature right there. Carl Anthony Towns is somebody that's been a intricate park within the rumor mill for the Knicks. And that's ironic because Towns used to grow up in that East Coast area. So mm -hmm. if I'm them, don't over... He shouldn't get a max deal. He should probably get maybe a four-year, $100 million contract that Kyle Lowry got you know, a few years prior before the Raptors won a championship. And he's already expressed he wants to retire a Knicks. So there's a chance you can not lowball him, but tell him to take maybe a little bit of a discount <laughs> to fulfill the other aspects of the team mm -hmm. that his team can propel itself into a legitimate contender because if they explode all their economical elements to him right now, you're going to be in a situation Toronto's in where your highest played player is a guy who had a career year, but ideally long-term, if we're looking at his individual talent, at best, he's a number two option. At worst, he's a third wheel. Right. And that's where I kind of get, like, the comparison with the NFL quarterback. Like, and I'm not talking about, like, the guys like Patrick Mahomes. Like, obviously, you pay Patrick Mahomes, okay? <laughs> like, obviously, you pay Patrick Mahomes. But a guy like, I don't know, like Baker Mayfield, where, like, he's good, but you're not, he's, you're not sure if he's good enough where he can have an average defense and he can have an average receiving core um, or, or a tick. But, like, you're not sure if he can just elevate you to the Super Bowl. And that's where, like, the same thing with Julius Randle. Like, you don't want to be trapped with a bad Julius Randle contract where he's good, obviously, but he's not quite a first option on a championship team, maybe not even a second option on a championship team. Maybe. Maybe not. But um, I digress. We're going to move on from the Knicks. Um, we're going to go on to the West Coast. Let's go to the Clippers. Because a lot of people are bashing the Clippers for ducking the Lakers. Now, in my opinion, yes, they did duck the Lakers. Like that, like they lost, they tanked both, they tanked both games versus OKC and Houston. Two of the worst teams that I've probably ever saw in, in, a, in a while, to be honest. But is it a, is it like a necessary? But make but people are making it into like a bad thing. Like, oh my gosh, how could the Clippers duck the Lakers and the like? Like, and I don't I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Um, obviously you want to exude confidence, 
Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think a lot of teams do it. Um, I think some. I think the Lakers kind of did it with the play-in. We're like. They looked at they were like we the seven seed. We got Phoenix. Mm, yeah, Phoenix is a better matchup than Utah. Like who? Like if you ask Lakers, if you like close behind closed doors, if you would have asked one of the executives of the Lakers, like who, who would you rather play in the first round, Phoenix or Utah? There go Phoenix because like it's a better matchup. So uh, I just don't understand why people are bashing the Clippers, and I I kind of do because like of what happened last year, and it's like. You guys blew the 3-1 lead, and you didn't make it to the conference finals and so forth. You didn't live up to expectations. So I, I, do under, I do know why people are bashing them, but I feel like it's a strategical move. It's a move that a lot of teams make. Give me your take on that. Yeah, I don't really feel like they're ducking the Lakers. I oh. do feel like they probably didn't want to play Portland. Oh. Or – Maybe they thought Denver would take a slide and maybe they're like, uh, because Denver's a team and Portland as well recently during this stretch where they've played, they've beaten. Now, when they've matched up with the Lakers, they, they've handled them. Now, granted, outside of opening night, they haven't really played the Lakers at full strength, but they probably feel like, look, we're built to beat the Lakers. And they kind of are because of the way that they've orchestrated themselves <laughs> as a second unit. They have three bigs and Zubox, not a huge fan of. Ibaka, who's quality, and Cousins has shown some giddy-up in his stuff despite going through some injuries and whatnot to where you have a three-big lineup that can combat an AD, a Gasol, and a Drummond. And we know what they bring to the table from a wing perspective with Kawhi and George, and now they have a floor general. That's all the Clippers really needed, a point guard. They got that in Rondo. So they probably feel like we're equipped to beat the Lakers, but maybe we don't want to see a Portland right now or a Denver, because they could probably take us to a six-game series because we know what Dame brings to the table in terms of his ability to go nuclear in the first round. Portland is always a tough matchup in the first round. They they bring all their weaponry <laughs> for the first round. You probably didn't want to see that smoke. However, Dallas probably isn't any better, but I do feel like they look at Dallas as a much better matchup because Dallas defensively, has not been very good this uh, year. Stinky. They've struggled. They've, they've struggled. And since the Clippers are statistically number one in three-point shooting, um, top five in scoring, um, their bench is a lot better than it was last year. So starting five, you got to deal with Kawhi and George. And then coming off the bench, you got to deal with Reggie Jackson, who's played particularly well. Got to deal with Nick Batum, who shot the ball particularly well. Got to deal with Luke Kennard, who shot the ball particularly well. And Serge Ibaka, who shoots the ball particularly well. So... <laughs> It's very important for Dallas in that series to either they're going to have to have a productive showing from their second unit or they're going to have to outscore these guys. And I don't know if they can outscore them because Porzingis' health is an issue and as talented as Luka Doncic is, he's one guy and <laughs> Luka doesn't really give you anything defensively. So, like I said, I think Clippers will probably duck in Portland because of Portland's history of being a tough out in the first round. I don't think they really have an issue with the Lakers. They know they're going to see the Lakers some way, somehow. Right. And if you look at how the playoffs have aligned for the Clippers, they do play they play Dallas, and they're probably going to play Utah. Those are two teams that they match up very well with. Right. So if they don't find a way to get to the conference finals this year, and then that, then I really think that their window as a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is closed. And if I'm Kawhi, and I don't get to the conference finals again. I have serious thoughts of understanding that, yeah, it's cool to play near home, <laughs> but 
ultimately, <laughs> if I'm trying to be an all-time great, I need to be somewhere where I can compete for a championship. Let me look elsewhere and just revisit L.A. during the offseason. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, like you said, and I think, and, and I think, I think it's just totally overblown. Like I like, and, and I kind of feel like they. Did. That's just this is just me. I kind of feel like they did, but but I feel like a lot of teams do. And like as you pointed out, they're in line. The Clippers are in line to play the Mavericks, who, as you explained, that's a pretty favorable matchup. Um, and then the Utah Jazz, that's another favorable matchup for the Clippers. So I feel like, I, I, you know, they, they should get to the conference finals, but we we just don't know with these Clippers. Um, so, we're, you know, we'll keep a pulse on that. Now tell me this. Who's the one coach? Because there's quite a few coaches that, you know, they got some stuff to prove. Who's the one coach that is under the most pressure slash scrutiny Who's the who's the, who's the coach that's under the most pressure to make a deep playoff run? All right, so I'm gonna go east and west. So okay. east, unfortunately, it's Budenholzer. I, I don't think they're gonna beat the Nets, but I do think if they don't beat Miami in the first round, he's gone. Uh, this is a team where, like I stated before in this podcast, they're much better than what they were last year. It might not show it record wise, but I think the main reason why they'll beat Miami this year is solely because of Drew Holiday. And P.J. Tucker, their ability to be defensive menaces on a perimeter will help in neutralizing Jimmy Butler's effectiveness as a perimeter creator and also help neutralize one or the two shooters in Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. Now, granted, Robinson and Hero have had relatively down years, but playoffs, whole new season, we don't know what they can provide. Having two perimeter guys that can neutralize Butler's effectiveness as a creator and one of their two shooters on the outside will help a ton. That's why I think Milwaukee, and that's why I think Budenholz is going to be under the most pressure because they have the personnel to beat Miami. I don't think long-term they have the personnel to beat Brooklyn, which is probably who they'll have to face in the second round. But he's going to be the guy that they're going to look at the most and be like, all right, man, keys are set, the table's set, get it done. And if he can't get it done, he's going to be gone. Out West, with a much more likelihood to make a deeper run, it's going to be the... Portland Trailblazers, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Terry Stotts has been getting dogged the past year. Now, I'm surprised that it took this long. Never been a Terry Stotts fan because Portland, <laughs> since Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have come together, have assimilated as one of the more underrated backcourts in all of basketball. They play the same way. And it's even more appalling this year because this is the deepest Blazers team I've seen in the Terry Stotts era, probably dating back to when Lillard was a pup. And they had Wes Matthews, Batum, Aldridge when they were much more in their primes. Right. It's a deeper team, so they can they can put out a lineup that's got incredible defensive capabilities on the perimeter. They can put out a lineup that can go small but can shoot the lights out. They can play super big and bang with bigger teams. The issue is they don't have a lot of creativity offensively because it's my turn, your turn on the perimeter with their guard play. However, they're playing a Denver team that they cooked to end the year. And from a matchup perspective, especially without Jamal Murray, they should beat Denver in six games. I was telling everybody when Murray got the injury, I don't think Denver can beat Portland. That's how important Murray is to that basketball team. I know Yoga just had an incredible MVP season, but they go as far as their duo goes. He's not there. I don't think they can beat a team like Portland, who's very rudimentary as a unit when it comes to game planning. Ironically enough, that's what they play in the first round. 
Portland should beat that team. Now, in the second round, they probably might have to face either Phoenix or L.A. We think L.A. is going to do what they need to do against the Suns. But whoever they play, though, you're going to have home court. You're going to have home court. And you've caused the Lakers a lot more problems this year than you did last year because Lakers not as effective as a bigger unit. And like I said, McCollum and Little are relatively healthy. Their guard play continues to cook their guard play. So <laughs> Blazers, the way the bracket set up, getting to the conference finals is going to be a disappointment. It, it really will be. Mm. And if they don't get there for Stotts, the mirror is going to be looked upon him and it's, people are going to finally realize after giving him a complete pass the past five years, he's not the guy. He's the guy that can get you to the playoffs, but he can't ever get you over the top. So those are the two individuals that I feel like are under the most pressure this postseason as coaches. Okay, um, I agree with the Budenholzer one. Um, I, I like both of them. And let me say this: I like both of them. I agree with the Budenholzer one. Um, Budenholzer, his lack of creativity, and this kind of there's this stigma with Budenholzer where like it dates back with the 2015 Hawks, where like they just wet the bed, um, versus LeBron and Cleveland. But now he's with Milwaukee, uh, and similar to Brad Stevens, he has this system. He has this system in these in these schemes that are that really fall short in the postseason. And I think the the I think I want to see how they use Giannis cre- creatively, offensively in the postseason. Because once again, I think I mentioned this, but hey, this is a good test. This is a good test for Milwaukee in the first round. Miami, you got Miami, the team that knocked you out in the bubble last year. This is a really good test because first, Spolstra as a coach, really good. He's been underrated for years. Now, last year, people saw how good of a coach Spolstra is. Um, And then this Heat culture itself is just strong, and the Heat are just not going to bow down. The Heat heat are not going to let you just walk over them. They're going to play hard. So this is a really good test for Milwaukee, and I do want to see how they use Giannis. Put him, you know, have Giannis coming off some pin downs. Post him up. Put him on the block. Can Giannis' jump shot get better? Yeah. Can his post game develop more and get better? Yeah. But it's not going to get better if you don't put him in these situations. (laughs) It's just not. It's not going to get better if you don't put him in these situations. And I feel like I I often compare Giannis to Lamar Jackson in this sense. Like, people people talk about the things that Giannis and Lamar can't do. Like, people talk about Giannis, oh, he can't shoot. You know, his post-up game isn't that great. And then with Lamar, they talk about, oh, he's a great runner, but as a thrower, he's not good. We need to start focusing on what these guys can't do. Let's focus on what they can do. Because what they can do is better than any – it's probably better than anybody else in the sport. With Lamar, it's his ability, his athletic ability on the ground with his feet. He's he's as he's as athletic as a quarterback that we have probably ever seen in the sport of football, definitely in today's game right now. And with Giannis, Giannis is the best player in the open floor, without a shadow of a doubt. He's the best player in the open floor. So – we need to stop. We and, and and that's that's why I preached this a couple weeks ago. But we need to stop talking about what guys like Giannis and what guys like Lamar Jackson can't do. 
Lamar has a, a winning percentage of 80. <laughs> He's he wins 80 plus percent of it. He wins 80 plus percent of his games. Stop talking about what he can't do. Put him in these situations so he can become a better thrower. Put him get him a receiver so he can become a better thrower of the football. With Giannis Boonhoser. And for in, in order for him to become a better shooter, how about you set a couple pin downs? How about you run a couple horn actions? How about you post him up? He's not going to get better if you don't utilize him in these type of situations and predicaments. So, and then out west, you mentioned Terry Stotts. Um, Stotts. I, I like Terry Stotts. I mean, offensively, there's not a lot of creativity, uh, as we just talked about with the Bucks. Like. There's not. It's it's a lot of hero ball, as people used to call it. It's a lot of hero ball um, with Dame and CJ, and they're good at it. But in the postseason, when you're going up against elite defenses, elite competition, um, elite coaching, it just doesn't work like that. And you're gonna have to find different ways um, and different. Got to find different ways to win. And I feel like teams that have different ways to win are more successful in the postseason. The Blazers, they win one way, outscore you. They don't play any defense. The Blazers don't play any defense at all. Um, and I, I feel like with you mentioned Dame and CJ, they're the same type of player. It's just that Dame is a couple notches better, but they're the same type of player. And I, I, I just feel like with Portland, they may have reached their ceiling under Terry Stocks. So I'm not mad with both of those candidates. I agree. Uh, I think those are coaches that are definitely on the hot seat. Uh, I can't agree more. Give me a player. Now, give me a player that is under that is under the most pressure going into this postseason. Yeah, I'm going to do the East and West thing once again. I think okay. out East, player under the most pressure is, I'm going to say James Harden. Oh. Now, I was, Giannis was, was in my brain, but... I'm going to say James more so because the Nets brought Harden in to be the final piece to a championship contender. His role has changed. He's evolved into, in my opinion, the ultimate player that he truly is. I don't think he's this bona fide ISO greatest isolation scorer ever. I don't really think that moniker that they've developed him as being the past few years truly is him at his utmost best. At his utmost best, he's a point guard. He's a, he's a great point guard because he can drop 30 and then give you 20 assists in the same game. He's a point guard at heart, and his ability to be able to make lives easier in terms of his star-caliber teammates and the rest of the consulary parts around his star-caliber teammates, his ability to make those guys well is going to be important. Also, clutch moment abilities for Harden, and it doesn't have to just be hitting the step-back three when the shot clock's winding down making the right pass, making the right read, making the right plays, where it doesn't feel like you're stumbling over your own beard, so to say, and not <laughs> making the requisite plays that you need to to elevate your team to the top. He's the guy under the most pressure. If he could come through during this postseason run and he's an integral part of them winning a championship, the narrative of Harden chokes in the playoffs forever disappears. And that's why I feel like out east, he's under the most pressure. Out west... I'm going to say it probably will be Donovan Mitchell. And oh. this is why I'm going to say Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, and I read a piece about it the year, I think the year they lost in the first round to the Nuggets. 
and he was up for his new contract extension. I made a piece about him and Giannis Antetokounmpo feeling as if they were both stars who were in tough situations where their talent was elevating, but I didn't feel like the team around them was created enough to where I felt like they could elevate themselves into championship contention. What happened in the offseason after that article, Bucks got better as a team, and so did Utah. And now Mitchell is in a position out west. Team's got the number one seed. He is the team's best player. He is the team's go-to guy. Can he elevate the Jazz to at least the brink of an NBA final? I don't think they'll win the finals. I don't think they'll get there. But if he shows records to growth to where he can get to a conference final, that's going to be ever so important for that basketball team. Because last year, they were the three-team up 3-1 as well that choked it that no one really talks about. Instead, we remember, wow, that scoring duel Mitchell and Murray had. It was incredible. But wow. they were up 3-1, and they lost it. And a lot of that had to do with Mitchell down the stretch, running out of steam and running out of gas. And so in this series, like I stated before, this playoffs, his efficiency is ever so important because – when he comes back, he's going to put everything fully together for the Utah Jazz. The puzzle will be fully completed, and his play is going to dictate whether this team gets to the conference final or do like kind of they've done during Mitchell's young career, where they may win the first round playoff series, but then they stumble in the second, or they get shocked in the first round. They never It never feels like they truly were going to taste the conference final because they just aren't ready, and their players came up small. That's always with a skinny on Mitchell, talented player. It just isn't his time. From here on out, it's his time. Where every time he's in the playoffs, we're going to expect him to deliver and send the Jazz closer to Western Conference Championship contention. He's under the most pressure out West. Okay. um, That's an interesting one with Donovan Mitchell. Let me get back to the Eastern Conference with James Harden. You you hit it around the nose with James Harden. Um, I like James Harden. My love for his game has grown over the cup over the last couple of years because yes, people when because if you, people need to go people need to go back and do some homework when it was when James Harden was Oklahoma City because when he was in Oklahoma City he was basically their point guard <laughs> like he was basically their point guard he was their playmaking guard that would come off the bench and do what they need him to do offensively and and with Houston when he went to Houston. And and more so after a couple years, but more so with uh, D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, he morphed into this isolation, heavy isolation, heavy dominant guard. And we look at him as this great isolation score. And I'm like, "Mm, that's he can do that. And he did it. He did it really well. He did it really well. And I think some of that, some of, I think he did it really well, but that's not him. And I think some of that not being him led to the postseason struggles. That's why, like, the the, ice, the heavy isolation ball, it didn't work in the postseason. Because, and, and I think some of that is because, like, it that's proven that that stuff doesn't work. Isolation, hero ball, that doesn't work in the postseason. But I think, but I also think that wasn't him. And with his role that he has now with the Brooklyn Nets, that's more so him. And that's what I said. That's what I said after the trade. That's what I said when I saw him first play. That's what I've been saying. He is a point guard at heart. James Harden is a point guard at, at, at heart. It's just so happily that he can score 30 or 40 a night. He can. But he can also lead the league in assists. He's just a 
talented offensive player, but at heart, he's a point guard. And, you know, it's that Dan Tony stigma where, you know, Dan Tony, he turns these, like, he exacerbates point guards numbers because of the heavy ball dominant that it re- that the ball dominance that it requires to play in like a quote unquote Dan Tony system. So that's where that isolation scoring comes from. But Hart is a point guard at heart. Um Donovan Mitchell that's a fascinating one. That is a very fascinating one that I that that probably would not come up in different people's minds. Some people may say Paul George or Anthony Davis or uh, or Kawhi or you know some people some people may go down that route, but the Donovan Mitchell route is very very interesting, and I think it's a it's a it's a unique take to have um, with him having like the most pressure. So I'm not mad with that. I actually like that. Um, on the other on the other side, I'm gonna come. We're gonna come back. We're gonna get your playoff predictions for round one. Because as I mentioned, I'm going to bring you on throughout the course of the playoffs. Um, but on the other side, we're going to get your round one predictions. Okay, so we're going to be- we're going to get uh, Cambui's, uh playoff first round predictions. So I- I'm I'm interested to see he's kind of he's kind of giving away some of his predictions a little bit, but. That's fine. We're still going to do the predictions. I'm going to do the first-round predictions along with him. You can go ahead. Um, we can just go from top to bottom. We can start on the East Coast. Um, I'm going to give people a rundown. So I think you had the Wizards winning, beating the Celtics, right? And the Wizards winning tonight, so they'll be the seventh seed in the East. Right. And then – you had the Pacers being the Charlotte Hornets. I do. Now, that could be a little tricky because okay. Levert's, Levert's not playing. <laughs> got COVID. Uh, Brogdon's a game-time decision. But I'm going to roll with the Pacers mainly because the Hornets, although their roster is much more healthier, they've been inconsistent to date. And while I love LaMelo Ball and I like the culture they're building in Charlotte, I don't think it's their time yet, and they'll lose to a more experienced, more complete team in Indiana. Okay. So that lead that would lead to okay. So so Indiana and Boston, they would play each other. Who do you have winning that play-in game? I'll take Indiana. I think Boston. Uh, they're in over their heads at this point. They did have a valiant effort against the Knicks recently, last game of the year, where Brad Stevens did play second unit a lot, and they played particularly well, but. I think Pacers, even though they're banged up, still got Sabonis. Um, we'll have Malcolm Brogdon in some capacity as well. They'll be able to ride that into, I think, a, a playoff berth as an eight seed and they end the Celtic season. Okay, so now we have your Eastern Conference playoff bracket set up. So we're going to start from the top. Philly versus Philly versus the Indiana Pacers. I think I know who you have, but who do you have? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the Sixers and relatively quickies, probably four or five games. Um, They're going to get it done. Okay. You talked about this series a little bit. Four or five matchup. Well, yeah, let's do four or five matchup. New York Knicks versus the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, the Knicks in six, Um, like I stated before, their defense, I think it's going to be a battle of which defense sets the tone earlier and more consistently. 
they should do so. They've been playing at a high level defensively all year, and I think it's going to give Trey Young and Atlanta's three-point shooting offensive ability problems. Knicks and six. Okay. At the three spot, uh, three and six matchup, you have Milwaukee versus Miami. Who do you have? Yeah, I have Milwaukee in six. And I think I have Milwaukee mainly because of Drew Holiday and P.J. Tucker. That defensive ability will, I think, neutralize Butler in some capacity. And one of their shooters that they have in terms of Hero and Robinson. And then I think offensively, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how they play Kate Giannis within their offensive game plan against Miami. I think Giannis is way more productive this time around than he was last year. He's prepared, motivated, and you're facing a team that neutralized you last year. That's going to be a benefit. So, Bucks get it done in six. And then Brooklyn versus Washington. Who do you have? So, and by the way, would watch. So, if Washington wins tonight, and I should have done this earlier, but if Washington wins tonight, do they become the seventh seed, or do they just be the eighth seed? I don't. Uh, let me see. Well. Boston and Washington are currently the 7th and 8th. So whoever wins the 7-8 matchup gets the 7th seed. And then the loser plays for the 8th seed and gets the winner of the 9-10. So if Washington wins tonight, they're the 7th seed. They play Brooklyn. Okay, so Brooklyn versus Washington. I think I know you have, but who do you have? <laughs> yeah, it will probably be the most entertaining five-game series ever. Yeah. But it's going to be Brooklyn. Uh, you know Westbrook is going to play like a madman, yeah. He's going to get KD and Harden, two of his former teammates. Bill's going to do what he has to do, but Washington's biggest problem is they can't stop a cold. So the way to beat Brooklyn is you better play some type of defense. You better have some solid perimeter defenders or elite rim protection. They have neither. Um, you're probably going to have different games where Kyrie drops forty, Durant gets thirty, Harden has twenty assists. Brooklyn five. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna go through my play and tournament results really quickly uh i agree with you i think the wizards will win tonight um and by the way people this is being recorded on this this will come out on wednesday so by then when you guys are hearing this you guys will know the play-in results for the eastern conference so that's just a disclaimer but and maybe i throw that in at the beginning of the episode but like i said wizards i think they do beat the celtics um so they play brooklyn in the first round uh, and then I have I'm gonna have, I'm gonna go with Charlotte. I'm a I'm big on Lamelo Ball. Um, I like what this Charlotte team has done. I think they're ready. I think they're ready. I'm just not sure with Indiana. They they have struggled the second half of the season. I just don't know what has happened. Um, Levert had got, he got COVID. I'm I wasn't even I wasn't even uh, aware of the fact of Malcolm Brogdon being a game time decision or being questionable. So. That I think that may swing the favor in Charlotte's direction. So I got Charlotte versus the Wizard. I mean Charlotte beating the Pacers. Then I'm gonna go with the Charlotte Hornets. The Charlotte Hornets beating the Celtics. I know it's crazy, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my neck out there. I'm gonna go with the Charlotte Hornets beating the Celtics. So then we have the Charlotte Hornets um, versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I got the Sixers. Um, in four games, uh, it's going to be pretty competitive, but I got the Sixers. Uh, the four five matchup in Atlanta versus the Knicks versus Atlanta. Um, def- de- two defensive, two pretty good defensive teams. Uh, Atlanta's gotten a little bit better defensively under Nate McMillan, 
but I do I do think the Knicks they're gonna have too much firepower or well not firepower but defensively they will get more stops which will lead to more points. So I think the Knicks will win in a tough seven game series. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. Although this is a matchup from last year, I do think the Bucks have gotten better. So I'm gonna go with the Bucks in the first round versus o- over the Miami Heat. I'm gonna go. This is gonna be a closely competitive six game series. Then lastly, the Brooklyn Nets versus the Washington Wizards. I like you said, it's gonna be very entertaining. Get your popcorn ready. If you don't like, if you love defense, turn your head, close your eyes. Uh, the, the 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 Wizards can't stop a nosebleed. But I'm gonna go with the Nets to win in five games. Um, so let's shift over to the Western Conference. So the play-in, we talked about the play-in a little bit. You have the Lakers beating the Warriors. Um, and oh, go ahead. Yeah, I did have the Lakers beating the Warriors. Uh, main reason why is the size. You know, Golden State are still a smaller team. Um, but in the past, when they were a smaller team and they could get away with Draymond at the five or when they were in their prime, KD could play the five. Their five man isn't more of a threat offensively and or defensively from a wingspan perspective. Lakers are going to rotate three bigs. They're going to feature them. Then you got to worry about the LeBron element as well. Lakers front court is going to dominate this one. They're going to win, get the seventh seed. Memphis, okay, so that leaves the Warriors would have to go to the, you know, play the winner of the 9-10. Who do you have winning the 9-10 round? Yeah, Memphis is weird because, you know, they're a team that is probably in jeopardy for a second year in a row losing in the play-in. <laughs> and I think if that happens, I think it probably exposes not their coach or Morant, but it might expose the pieces around them. Um, I'm going to pick the Spurs. Now, the Spurs have been rather underrated this year. I thought when they let go of Aldridge, they were going to embrace the tank. They were trying to trade the <laughs> Rosen. No one really wanted them. So because of that, they played, and they played particularly well. They have a lineup where they go four guards, Murray, Rosen, <laughs> uh, Walker, mm-hmm. and Kelvin Johnson. They're all threats that can put it on the floor and score. Some of them can shoot Walker, Johnson. Others kind of can't. Rosen, Murray, but... I do think that the scoring versatility will help against the Grizzlies because Memphis' problem is, you know, Booker's the gunner and Jackson's the gunner. Outside of that, they don't really have consistent knockdown shooting. And then their calling card would be defense usually, right? You think of Memphis, Curtin, Grind. Mm-hmm. They're not a team that could defend at such a high clip. And these are divisional rivals. So, you know, when you hear about divisional rivalries, they ring a lot of clarity in football because – Football division rivalries, a lot of people don't pay attention to that in basketball. But Memphis and San Antonio, they've played a lot this year. They're in the same division. They know each other's tendencies. They know each other very well. So this matchup's a coin flip. I'm going to pick San Antonio to win this game, send the Grizzlies home yet again in the play-in. Okay. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on the Lakers' take. Uh, I like um, I like the Lakers to beat the Warriors, and they'll lock up the seventh seed. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies versus the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs got off to a really good start this to the season. Like they were for some time, they were like in that six, they was in like five, six, seven range for a while. Um, until like teams like the Mavericks got their act together and so forth. So a really up and down season for the Spurs. I'm gonna go with the coaching. Like I like I, I love Greg Popovich. I'm gonna go with the coaching aspect. Um, one game, one game to go. I'm gonna go with the Spurs to beat the Memphis Grizzlies. 
Um, and then that would leave the Spurs versus the Warriors. I'm going to go with the Warriors to fully lock in to the eighth spot. Uh, so then this leads us to the regular playoffs, Western Conference playoffs. The 1-8 matchup, the Utah Jazz versus the Golden State Warriors. Who do you have? Utah Jazz, Golden State Warriors. I'm going to take Utah, and it's probably going to go six. Um, Golden State is a team that could potentially – be Utah, they're shooting, but Utah, like I stated before, like the 2018 Rockets, they're a very good defensive team. I know there's going to be games where Rudy Gobert is just not going to be on the floor because what the Warriors are going to do, they're going to switch them on some pick and roll action, have them guard Curry on the perimeter, say your prayers. They're going to do that a lot, <laughs> but I, I think Utah is a very complete team, and they actually played the Warriors recently, and it was really close. I think the Warriors got off to a huge lead. I think Utah came back. It might have been in reverse. I'm not sure. But it was a close game. And Golden State got it done. Mitchell wasn't playing. He's going to play now. And him and Bogdanovich, when they have played together, have been playing particularly well at a high clip. I think they're a more complete team. Their defensive acumen will show eventually throughout the series. It's going to be hard fought. Golden State's going to get about two games. But I got the Jazz in six. Okay. Um, so I have a similar take. Uh, I'm gonna go with Utah in five games. I think Utah defensively will try to try, they would try to do different things and tactics to get the ball out of Curry's hand. Because when you think about it, Curry, when he passes half court, he's a threat. You know, he's he, when he passes half court, he's a threat. So I think they'll try some different traps, some different schemes defensively to try to slow him down. I think eventually that'll kind of wear down on Kerry. Um, I do think Utah will win in five games, though. Uh, 4-5 matchup, the Clippers versus the Dallas Mavericks. Very entertaining. Who do you have? Very entertaining indeed, but I got Clippers in five. I think it's going to be really quick. Different from last year because Clippers have a bench, and it's an effective bench. It's not just a bench with names that could sometimes come in and produce Reggie Jackson's been playing at a very productive clip that's rare because you don't really look at Reggie Jackson and consistency coinciding with each other in the same sentence. He's playing solid. Luke Kennard's shooting the ball particularly well. Batum has been pretty lethal from the corner. DeMarcus Cousins went from 10-day contract to mainstay on the roster, and he's giving them quality minutes off the bench. Big thing with Dallas has been their defense. They have been able to defend anybody all year. Now, what's helped them recently has been Lucas plays elevated to stay the same high level and Porzingis has pitched in with quality minutes Porzingis though coming into the postseason yet again like last year health is he going to be healthy enough I don't think it matters because like I said Clippers can play three bigs high quality minutes <laughs> and Dallas rotation from a big man perspective Porzingis and Boyan that that's about it and Porzingis his health is an issue and then Boyan can't play particularly long minutes because of how he how he is from a physique perspective. So Clippers right. in five, I expect George to have a dynamic se- dynamic series to where he'll probably get the monkey off his back. Wouldn't be surprised if Ty Lue and Rondo feature George to help him get over his snide individually in this series to go from way off P to truly play off P. And I got the Clippers <laughs> in five. Okay. Um, the Clippers, this is this I I can't wait for this matchup because I love every bit of this series last year in the bubble. Um the it was a three-six series last year in the bubble, but four-five now. 
Um, I'm gonna go with the Clippers in six games. I do think Luca will be good enough to win them two games. Uh, but I, 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 if I'm, I'm gonna be honest, I'm been I've been really disappointed in Kristaps Porzingis' play, and not so much his play, but his health. Like he just can't stay healthy. Um, but and but I do feel like Kristaps, there has been a ceiling put on him, like. Because at this point, he seems more like a glorified Davis Bertans where he just stretches the floor. But if 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 Dallas can get back to featuring him in the post a little bit more, I would also like to see Luca play in the post a little bit more because I think his passing ability, um, along with his playmaking ability, will open up the floor for them offensively. But Dallas off Dallas problems doesn't lie on the offensive end. It lies on the defensive end, and I just don't know how they're going to be able to defend the Clippers consistently. Consistently, that's the key. I don't know if they can be able to defend them consistently. So that's why I will go with the Clippers in six games. I do think it's going to be a very compelling and entertaining series, but I don't see that defensive prowess from the Dallas Mavericks. So I go go with the Clippers. 3-6 3-6 matchup, the Denver Nuggets versus the Portland Trailblazers. Who do you have winning the series? Yeah, kudos to Denver for being able to be a top three seed when Murray went out. I think everybody <laughs> thought the wheels would fall off. Jokic's play stayed consistent, and Michael Porter Jr. took that next step. We all knew he had in him. It was just a matter of would he commit himself on the defensive end enough for Mike Malone to let go of the rings and let him flourish as an offensive weapon on the perimeter. However... You're going to miss Murray a lot because it will be a battle of the backcourts. <laughs> and Jokic, as great as a player he is, he's not an aggressive enough of a scorer yet in his career to where if Emma McCollum and Lillard go nuclear for a 60-point combination, he can neutralize that somewhat by him going for 30. We know Porter has no problem jacking him up, but he's at a point in his career where he plays more so like a catch-and-shoot versatile version of Chris Middleton not a Bradley Beal, where he can put it on the floor and he can get creative with it off the triple two. So I have Portland in six. Could go seven, because I think Lillard's going to have a dynamic enough of a series because him and McCollum, for the first time in a while, probably since they went to the conference finals, they're healthy coming into the playoffs. And they're playing at an elite level. If they're going to play their ISO basketball, you know how that's going to be. But I think it's going to be at a very particular high level because they're going to be able to shoot the lights out going to be able to put the ball on the floor and get to wherever they want. Denver's not going to stop them. And if anything's a telltale sign, it's the fact that these two teams met the last game of the season. Yeah, Denver wasn't going hardcore, but Lillard and McCollum couldn't miss. I think that's going to be a sight to see and a foreseeable future to tell in this series coming up when the games matter for real. Portland is six against Denver. Okay. Um, as you mentioned, the Denver Nuggets, uh, they they maintained their upper echelon play within the Western Conference and staying at the three spot or staying, you know, atop a of the Western Conference, which is phenomenal. Uh, Jokic has had an MVP caliber year. I think most people would probably vote him. I think, you know, the media would probably vote him MVP. Um, this is tough. I like I because I, I like Denver a lot, and I thought Denver went went healthy with Jamal Murray. I thought they could have really, I thought they could really make make a like a, a finals run. That's how high on Denver I was. But like you mentioned, Michael Porter Jr. He has no problem 
putting up shots. He never seen a shot that he did not like. And I love the confidence from him. But I do think there's another, and you mentioned him taking another step. I think there's another step he could take to where he becomes like an, the ultimate offensive weapon uh, for the Nuggets. But I don't think that th- I don't think this is the time yet. Um, so I do think the Blazers is going to be a com- it's going to be a very competitive series. I have the Blazers winning in seven games. I just based off the fact I don't think I don't trust the Blazers defense enough where they'd be able to take out the Nuggets less than seven games. Uh, I think there I think there'd just be opportunities for the Nuggets to still a, still a, a few games. So that's why I got the Blazers in seven. I ultimately think that Dame and CJ and the offensive prowess that the Blazers have, I don't think the Nuggets will have enough. I just don't think they have enough where Jokic should be aggressive enough either. So I go with I go with Portland, but out of the, out of any series that we have picked so far, that's the one that I'm least confident about, to be honest. So Blazers in seven, I'm not so confident about that, and that's why I got them in seven. Anytime it's a seven game series, like it's usually a coin flip. So who do you have? Phoenix versus the Lakers. That's the, that's that's the two versus seven matchup. Who do you have in that? playoff round or that series yeah i'll have the lakers and and six and i think the biggest issue will be for phoenix is front court abilities offensively and defensively you know anthony davis has shown he can own deandre Aiden. now deandre Aiden coming out of arizona was never uh two-way big he was never a guy that was a formidable ring protector but we always thought his upside could be a offensive weapon to where, yeah, he might get owned defensively, but he'll make it back up because of his effectiveness on the offensive end. Right now, he's still he's a lob threat and a putback maestro, but he settles for a lot of jumpers and his post game's nothing to fear. And when you're going to get a guy in AD that can do it all on both ways, he can neutralize you offensively and give you the business when he's on offense. It's gonna be tough. And then when you gotta when you beat the Lakers, it's about neutralizing their front court. So AD obviously being able to neutralize him is important. Can you guard LeBron? They have the wings to throw at him. I like Mikael Bridges a lot as a two way player. Jay Crowder's got experience, but they're not going to be formidable paths to stop LeBron from getting wherever he wants to go to. And so, Suns are going to lose in six, in my opinion. But it's important for Phoenix. I think for their confidence, their psyche. Set the tone in game one. Getting a game one win is crucial. You get a game one win. Obviously, the Lakers have the experience to come back from a 1-0 deficit and, and do it. They did it last year against Portland. But beating the Lakers helps them a lot because while Paul has experience being in the playoffs, Booker and Aiton don't. And I think for their young guys, their ability to win a game one and be effective while doing it will pay dividends as that series stretches on. But the Lakers submit their dominance early in the series. It might be even quicker than a six-game prediction that I have, but I got Lakers in six. Okay. Um, I agree with the result, the outcome. I think the Lakers will win the series. I'm going to take the Lakers in five games. I do think this is going to be a closely competitive five games. I know I've said that for a lot of series, but I do. Uh, As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I just don't know. Like Throughout the regular season, the regular season has been so flaky, um, and so many guys have been hurt. You just don't know what you're quite getting from 
need none of these teams really. But I do think the Lakers, with their size um, and the mismatches that they're going to be able to take advantage of, which I think they will properly be able to take advantage of, I think that will propel them in, in a closely competitive five-game series. Um, you mentioned Phoenix. Hey, Phoenix got to come out swinging because they need the confidence that, hey, we can beat this team in a series. Uh, and I th- I do think they'll probably get one of the first two games at home but ultimately, I think the LeBron, if you, if the Lakers are healthy with LeBron and AD, I like them in five games. Um, and I, and people know if you've been following my podcast this this basketball season or throughout the year, you guys know that I like Phoenix a lot. But this it's just a bad matchup. It's just not a good matchup at all. For the Phoenix Suns, so I'm gonna roll with the Lakers um, in the first round in five games, closely competitive. I think all five games are gonna be nail biters, and it, you know you you find yourself like, hey, damn, that could have went either way. So, but I'm gonna go with the Lakers in five. Um, and those are those are our first round predictions. We talked about the playoffs a little bit. Those are our first round predictions. I feel like I said, I feel pretty confident about those. Um, some others than most, but I feel pretty confident about those. How about yourself? Yeah, I feel confident about them. Uh, more so about the prediction of who's going to win the series than wh- how long the games will occur. You know, playoff yeah. series, peaks and valleys, you never know where that can go. But yeah, I do feel confident. Um, upsets can happen. Wouldn't be opposed to them happening. But like I said, when it comes to the L.A. teams, their matchups exclusively – I don't see the Clippers and Lakers bowing out early anytime soon. And I think that's ultimately what people want to see. We were robbed of a Clipper-Laker conference final last year because of the bubble. Um, bubble restrictions are no more. Obviously, the pandemic is still ongoing, but it, they don't exist to a point where a player feels compromised for being able to be themselves outside of the court. So we're going to see high-level play from both teams. Not just them, but all teams involved in the postseason. Yes. So can't wait for that to happen. For sure. Um so I, I'm a. I think this is pretty good. I'm gonna wrap it up here, um, as I did on the la- as I did on the last appearance that Cambui uh, made. I'm gonna drop the. I'm gonna drop his links in the description for you guys to check out. Um, the Independent Intel Podcast, a really good sports podcast. As you guys, if you've been listening to this episode, you can tell. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. Um, so, and it's it's good content over there. Trust me, it's good content over there. So, you guys go ahead, feel free to check that out. Like I said, his all of the all of his links will be in the description below, um, or I would you know wherever this it should be below. Um, so check that out. Give that a check out. Um, great, great content. I promise, great content. Uh, Kambu, you have any anything else to say? You know, you want to mention and throw out there to the listeners before we wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, I mean, guys, whoever's listening, check out my podcast, Independent Intel, episode eighteen, in the works, possibly coming sometime this week. Always appreciate being on Isaiah's platform to talk about basketball or football. And uh, like you said before, I'll be back on this platform in the foreseeable future to talk more NBA basketball. And just can't wait for the playoffs to begin. Yes, greatly appreciated for you coming on onto the pod. Um, like I said, you'll be back on. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue to t- discuss the playoffs round through round. 
So this should be really, really interesting to see how our predictions translate um, round by round. So, yeah, you'll definitely be on. I, like I said, once again, I greatly appreciate it for you coming onto my platform, speaking the truth, giving your opinion. Uh, the, great, the great opinions. Continue doing what you're doing. Once again, I'll leave the links to to the independent Intel podcast in description in the description below. Uh, and you guys, well, I let you guys go. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Uh, it was a it was a great, great listen. I hope you guys enjoyed as much as I did, as much as we did. So just um Saturday, I would be back on. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, though. Enjoy this episode. Um, you guys are doing a great job with spreading the love and spreading this podcast. You guys are doing a great job, so continue to do that. Um, and without further ado, always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace, deuces. Be safe, everybody. Enjoy. <laughs>